I uh, grew up in a town that was primarily Baptist. Uh, Montrose had 1,300 people in town, and no kidding, 12 Baptist churches, uh, truly. Uh, but there were also Catholics there because there were 14 bars. Um, but one of the things I learned early on is that, uh, you know, like us, they're Christian, uh, but there is a cultural difference that often manifested itself when, when I would be asked, are you saved? And I don't know if any of you have been ever asked that, but I was asked that a lot, particularly because I was Catholic. Uh, are you saved? And it was a question I was never sure what to do with. Uh, I got what they meant, but I also know that salvation's an ongoing thing, right? I mean, I, I hope I am. I'm, I'm striving to be connected to him, the only one who can save me. But I heard the most beautiful and incredible response to that question one time uh, when one of our uh, teachers was asked, are you saved? And uh, he said, why are you asking me? Yeah, I could tell you anything. Ask the people who work with me. Ask them if I'm saved. Ask my family if I'm saved. Find people who talk to me every day. Ask them, is he saved? That's the answer that matters. And that really blew me away. Right? Ask me, I'll tell you anything. Sure, yeah, all set, peace, you know. <laughs> but here's the truth, and I think it's a really important question for us to ask. When people, the people we know, the people we love, if they were asked if you and I are saved, what would their answer be? And how, what would their data for that answer be? Today, part of that answer, I think, for us has to focus on the idea of Jesus' kingship. He's Lord. You and I have uh, two things, right? Every human, whoever lives and breathes, has two things that they really can't do anything about, right? Time and death. You can't stop time. You can't speed it up, you can't slow it down, you can't go backwards, you can't go forward, and we're all gonna die, right? Every one of us. There's no way around those two things. Uh, Jesus conquered them both, and he is our king. As subjects of this king then, I would love for us to take some time, this week in particular, and think about would people know that you and I are submitting to Jesus, that he is our king. If you look at Jesus' discussion with Pilate, it really is something, because you and I know the end of the story, he didn't, right? He, he didn't, he was a petty tyrant, and he'd seen guys like Jesus every week. The year he crucified Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew tells us he crucified 3,000 Jews that year. This wasn't a new or unusual thing. But what had to be remarkable to him was the fact that he held what he thought was the ultimate power. I can kill you or I can let you live. And the guy he was talking to didn't seem to see that as power and somehow took control of the conversation. I don't know if you noticed this. Jesus didn't answer any of Pilate's questions. He answered the ones he should have asked. Who was in charge here? 
You could, Pilate flat out says it, not in our section, but a little later in this conversation, he says, don't you get it? I have the power to have you killed or released. And what does Jesus say? You have no power over me. The one thing Pilate had over Jesus' head was something Jesus didn't fear. For you and I, I think this is really important. I really, really, really do. That's why I'm talking about it. Most of our lives, it seems, and this is new to me at least, people are putting bait out there for us. They're throwing out bait and we keep biting at it and we wonder why we get hooked. We wonder why we end up in these weird conversations or we wonder why there's so many people out there whose entire um, concept of Christianity is don't do that, yeah? What is Christianity? I don't know, but we're not supposed to do something, a lot of things. And it's because the world keeps asking us questions about heaven and hell and our answers are supposed to be about Jesus and love because that's all that matters. It's heaven all the way to heaven. It's hell all the way to hell. And when we allow our faith to be reduced to the questions we're asked about it, we miss the point. It's not a chance to win an argument. It's a chance to share Jesus. That we who submit to the Lordship of Jesus need to recognize that when we talk about our faith, we need to be talking about Jesus. Does this make sense to you? Pilate's asking power questions. Jesus is answering love questions. Pilate is asking Jesus what he does. Jesus is telling him who he is every time. And that's what we want to do. When I was at MSU, where, where Jesus went to school, although he left yesterday. Uh, <laughs> let me just say, that was awkward. You know, um, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I'd be in a classroom, they'd know I'm a priest, and I would get all of these loaded, loaded questions. Why do you hate this type of person? People who didn't know me. Oh, I know you think such and such are all going to hell. What? Where are you getting this? And I could try to answer their question, but I'm on their ground. Why don't I answer a question about Jesus, about love, about life? We who submit to Jesus recognize he should control our conversations. And our conversations, therefore, should be about Jesus. We don't want to reduce, I know I say this way too much, but it's why they pay me the big bucks, guys. We don't want to reduce symptoms of Christianity to Christianity. I can show all kinds of symptoms of Christianity but not love Jesus. For us, we want to remember that when we talk about this precious, beautiful faith, that primarily we're talking about Jesus. And we don't have to ask, answer every question asked of us. But we should always answer the question that should have got asked. Another thing I think that's really important for us, uh, and this seems to be an American Christian phenomenon, somehow in the last 20 years, we've decided that the cultural war is worth our dignity. 
We've decided, it seems, that fighting these cultural battles is worth the abandonment of the faith. We got lost somewhere. And this is a great opportunity for us to reassess the battle and our tactics. And what do I mean by that? That as Christians, as people who are publicly Christian, we need to ensure that nobody, nobody takes for granted our support. So hard to explain. But what do I mean by that? I mean that a, a person can get up and say uh, that, uh, they could say hateful things in the name of Jesus, but because we agree maybe with some of their principles, we say, well, well, well I get you. And again, the fruit of this is a world, a post-Christian society that believes we hate most people. It goes back to that conversation point, but it also goes back to this. We have one master, and it is not a political party. It's Jesus Christ. And we enter the political process as Christians. We must. But when that political process changes us instead of us changing the process, we've lost, even if we think we won. We never fight using the devil's tools. We fight like that. We fight by sacrificing and dying. And we need to set aside this idea that Christianity must triumph. He didn't. Not as far as the world was concerned. We need to let Jesus change our mind, change our thinking, so that we act like him instead of acting like the devil in his name. We don't lie. We are not cruel. We are. Scripture says this six times that I can find in the New Testament, that people should know we're kind. But we've so immersed ourselves in this cultural war that you actually have Christian and even Catholic organizations making fun of being kind. This is what happens when we enter the devil's battlefield without Jesus. Well, Father, what do we do about culture? We live moral, upright lives in the name of Jesus Christ. And we suffer for whoever needs it, whether they like us or not. Nobody should be able to assume we're going to support them politically just because they make the right words. We care about Jesus. And when people walk away from us, do they know we love them in the name of Jesus? Or do they know that we're very loyal to doctrines we might not even really understand? It's a hard thing to explain, and I hope it's making sense. It's a hard thing to write, because I don't like this either. My pride loves to win. But usually when we fight for Christ, it's supposed to end with our death with us being smaller, not mightier. Our Lord comes to us every day in the, form of, uh, in the form of unleavened bread. And his throne is a cross covered with his blood and him gasping his last breath. If we can't let Jesus heal our broken understanding of power, 
if we can't let Jesus heal our broken understanding of the faith, then we haven't submitted to him. Today on this beautiful feast of Christ the King, it's a great time for us to ask, have I submitted to Jesus? Or have I fixed Jesus a bit so that it's easier? Have I surrendered my mind and heart to him? Or have I just memorized a lot of the things you people aren't supposed to do? Because it's always other people's sin, isn't it? That's a ton easier. For you and me, we need to constantly ask ourselves what it means that God did this and that he calls that victory. And we need to ask ourselves, how can I die here? How can I sacrifice here? How can I bleed here so that we are like him and not changing him to be like us? This is the world God wants us to live in. And so we can live this well and join 2,000 years of lovers of Jesus who were hated in their day and loved when they were gone because they shook the world up a bit. And they did it not by becoming mighty and powerful, but by becoming like God, small and breakable. This Eucharist we receive is what it is. And we pray that whatever else it does in us, it heals our broken understanding of power, of faith, of love, so that we are more like Christ instead of bending Christ to be more like us. Amen? Amen. Okay.